The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So one of the most exciting jobs would have to be being an astronaut. These individuals are some of the most bold, daring adventurers and explorers of our time and maybe in the history of humanity. And these aren't just people off the street that sign up because they want to go into outer space. I mean, there's a high level of training. They have to be equipped. They have to go through a whole process to be ready to go into outer space. And so when I think of astronaut training, I immediately have this visual of these people in these anti-gravity chambers. You know what I'm talking about? And they're kind of floating around. And they have to be trained how to do that because just operating, some of them for over a year, in an environment like that is tricky. I mean, even just, have you ever seen one of them demonstrate how you have to drink liquid in an environment like that? I mean, that's, if you think about it, that's tricky. Just these globs of water floating around, okay? And sometimes that can go very bad. Um, there's one astronaut that demonstrates what it can look like when it doesn't go so well right there. And so just learning, I mean, imagine being in that kind of environment for a year, you'd have to like adjust how you operate in, in, some, in a place like that. You have to be trained and equipped. But their training goes far beyond just learning how to be um, in, a, in a place that has no gravity. There's all kinds of things that they have to be ready for. They have to be ready to be on their own if something goes wrong. So for example, they have to know the physics. If all of a sudden they lose connection with mission control, they've got to know the physics of what's going on because they might have to navigate into orbit or down back through the atmosphere on their own. They have to know the mechanics of the spacecraft because if something breaks, they can't take it to a mechanic to fix it. They've got to be the ones to fix it. They have to, many of them are pilots, but there's specifically designed vehicles for that mission that they have to be trained to know how to fly. They, they have to even learn different languages so they can communicate to the mission control of other countries or other astronauts. These are some of the, these astronauts are like the best and the brightest. And because their mission is so critical, and because it's so daring and so important, they have, they have a high level of training in order for them to go do a mission like this. They can't just go do it off on their own. They have to be trained and equipped for that. Now, in this series, we've been talking about uh, the, this idea of the season in our, our history as a nation when we wanted to land someone on the moon and return them safely. And we gave ourselves, okay, within the decade, we're going to do that. And by, they, they started that in 1961, 1969. They had put um, two humans on the moon and brought them back safely. And that's got to be one of the most historic feats in, of all of humanity. And the amount of preparation and the amount of training it took to get them there is because it was such an incredible historic mission. And so we've been using that as kind of a running illustration because we've been talking about our mission and that we are needing to be equipped for. And so if there's two things that we would hope you would, that we would as a church leave this series stuck in our minds is this. 
that the mission that you are a part of is more historic than you realize. And your role in that mission is more critical than you can imagine. The mission that you're a part of is more historic here as a church. The mission that you are a part of is more historic than you realize and your role is more critical than you could possibly imagine. So critical that we've got to be equipped and trained to be a part of it. We're going to look at a passage in the book of Ephesians. We've been mining out Ephesians chapter 3 and 4. And so we're going to jump back into this book of the Bible called Ephesians chapter 4. If you would open up to verse 11, I want to look at 11 and 12 again to get recalibrated to what this chapter is talking about. So look at Ephesians 4 verse 11. It's also going to be up here on the screens. Here's what it says. And he gave, that's Jesus, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. That's pretty much the leaders of the church. Jesus gave the leaders of the church to what? To equip the saints. Now by saints here, when the Bible's talking about saints, it's not talking about like super Christians that we make paintings of and we hang in cathedrals. When the Bible's talking about saints... It's talking about all Christians. It refers to all Christians as saints. Jesus has given the leaders of the church to equip the saints, all the Christians, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So let's get recalibrated here with what this text is saying. First thing is, you've got to see this. This corrects one of the most prominent misunderstandings that our culture has about church. When we think about church in our culture, so often what we think about is there's the church and then there's these ministers. And we think about these leaders. Some of them are vocationally ministers. Some are just, they serve and volunteer as ministers. But we think of these leaders, we think of them as ministers. And what do ministers do? Well, of course, the ministers do the ministry. And that's what our common thought is in our culture about church. But look what this passage says. It says, actually the leaders are equipping the entire church, all the parts of the church, all those who belong to the church. They're equipping the church, Christians, to do the works of of ministry. In other words, if you are part of the church, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, you are a minister. And the leadership of the church is called to equip equip you and equip everyone else so that we're doing ministry together. It, it corrects something that we so often misunderstand. And then it defines what it means by church. And it gives this really powerful metaphor. It, it says that the church is a body. And we talked about this last week. There's other metaphors that we often would more likely associate with a church, aren't there? We talked about this. For some people, when they think of church... It's that thing you need to go to when you're young and you get kind of indoctrinated when you're young into the church stuff and it's kind of like your vaccines. You get your spiritual vaccines and once you got those, then you're good for the rest of your life. We sometimes think of church like vaccines. Some of us, we think of church like the dentist. It's a couple key times, a couple times a year, you got to make sure you go to church and you get your spiritual teeth cleaned and you're, you're good for the rest of the year. 
Sometimes we think about church, it's kind of like a movie theater. You know, every now and then I'm like, you know what would sound good? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to go to church. And so every now and then we go to church because it kind of feels like it, it'd be nice and we go and we enjoy it and then we're good for a while. Some of us view church like going to the gas station. You a couple times a month, you need your spiritual fill up and then you're good. And, and all of those, maybe you identify with one of those, but the metaphor that the Bible gives for the church is a body. When you become a Christian, you become a part of the body. You are a body part. And follow that logic. A body part doesn't survive um, disconnected from the body. In fact, it will die. And in the same way, the, the body is suffering when that part of the body is disattached. In other words, if you're a Christ follower, you are a part of the body. You need the body and the body needs you. So we've talked about this. This is kind of get us re-caught up to where we've been. There's been two things we've talked about so far. First, you're a part of the body. And secondly, you have a function in the body. And so we said if you're part of the body, this is what we wanted to encourage you to do. Many churches have what they call a membership. What we have at West Pines, we use the ancient original word for a follower of Christ, the Greek word mathetes. And so what we have, we don't have a membership. We have West Pines Mathetes. And we said, if this is your church home, then say, yep, I'm, I'm a part of it. I'm a part of a church and become a West Pines Mathetes. You say, well, how, would I, how do I do that? There's five uh, videos that you watch. There's shorter videos that teach through what it means to be Mathetes. And then there's a covenant that all of us as West Pines Mathetes have signed together saying we're linking arms, going after what God has called us to do together. And you say, okay, well, how do I access those videos? Let me just show you the screen clip. On our website, if you go to the Get Involved tab, you'll scroll down, you'll see Become a Mathetes. You just click on that. It has all of the videos. In one evening this week, you set aside an hour and a half, two hours, you could go through all of that process. So if West Pines is your church home and you have, you have not become a West Pines mathetes, that is your homework for this week. You can get that right off the website. You are part of the body. The second thing we challenged, uh, we've been challenged as a church is every part has a function. And so last week we challenged everyone who calls West Pines your church home, we said, find a place to serve. God is waiting to use you. He's waiting for you to say, here I am, use me. He wants to utilize you, and so find a place to serve. And last week, um, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of you filled out on the connection card. There's places that, here that says, I want to serve, where you can request more information about these areas. If you haven't yet done that and West Pines is your church home, find a place to serve. Check off a couple of these boxes to get more information about it, and then you can put that in the offering box before you leave. We've talked about um, your part of the body. And you have a function in the body. But we haven't yet talked about this. And this is the next part of the passage that we're going to dig into. What are we supposed to be doing? Like, supposed to be doing? Like, what are we supposed to expect will be accomplished when we come together? Like, what is all this for? Because if we're coming to church or we're a part of a church and we don't actually know what the end goal is for what's supposed to happen when we come together then we, we might be wasting our time. So what's the purpose? And these next two verses describe the purpose and there's something in here that I think is going to shock you. Look at this, Ephesians 4. I want to go to the next verse. It's verse 13. Ephesians 4, verse 13. Look what it says. Until we all attain 
to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Here's the purpose. This is what's supposed to happen with church. It's supposed to take us from spiritual children to spiritual adulthood. It's that we're supposed to be spiritually matured from spiritual children to spiritual adulthood. Now, this is a very, when you think about um, that, that metaphor, this is a very interesting metaphor, especially when you think back to the maturity milestones either in your life or your children's life or grandkids. When you think about that, that's an interesting metaphor. So right now, my wife and I, uh, Rebecca and I, our two kids are both at strategic milestone moments. Our daughter just went into preschool for the first time uh, this past week. She's four. My son, Nehemiah, is two, and he is potty training, which has been interesting. And if you have ever walked through that um, with, some, with your child or someone you're babysitting or a grandchild, you um, know that there's this point where they're kind of getting it, but you have to go out of the house for the first time, you know? And they're no longer in a diaper or pull-up. They're in their underwear and their shorts, and you take them out of the house, and that's a gamble. And so my poor son, I think he's going to have a complex because he'll just be like walking through like a store, and he'll just stop for a second. And Rebecca and I will be like, do you need to go potty? Do you need to go potty right now? Do you need to go potty? He's like, no. Okay. Walk a few more steps, and he'll look over here. Do you need to go potty right now? Because we'll take you to the potty, Okay. He's going to have a complex. He's going to be in like a conference room one day and be like, do I need to go potty? I don't know. Do I need to go? He's going to run out of the room real quick and just inexplicably. Okay, he's starting to get it. Okay, he hasn't totally gotten it. We were out and he looks up at me and he says, um, Dada, can I sit on your shoulders? I don't think so, buddy. I... Maybe in a couple months we'll resume the shoulder business, okay? I don't, I don't think that's going to happen right now, okay? Unique season we're in, okay? So he's learning this. I mean, there's these maturity milestones you go, for, go through, and, and here's what the, it's describing. It's picked up on this metaphor, and it says, here's the process we all go through. And it dovetails so well with some of these other passages in Scripture. Okay, so Jesus said, he's talking to this one guy, and he's describing what it means to be saved. And he says, when you're saved, he says, you're born again. So when you become a Christian, when you start following Jesus, some of you, maybe recently at the end of one of our services, you prayed that prayer and you, you put your faith in Jesus. At that moment, you were saved and at that moment, you, be, you became a spiritual newborn. And it doesn't matter if you were 17 or 75, you became a spiritual newborn. But the Bible also talks about how you're not supposed to stay there. In fact, there's this other part in the Bible where this group is being pushed to spiritually mature. And it says, you're no longer infants that, are, that just need milk. You need solid food now. You spiritually need, need meat. 
you need to grow and mature. And so it's using this powerful metaphor of going from spiritual children to spiritual adulthood and to go through maturity. And it has nothing to do with your life experience, your age. It has to do with going through the process of spiritual maturity. But here's what's so fascinating about this particular passage is it defines very clearly what spiritual childhood is and what spiritual adulthood is. And what it says, did you notice in here, did you, did you catch this when it said, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Did you, did you catch that? Now the word doctrine may have thrown you off a little bit because when you hear doctrine, if all you think of is, isn't that the, like those finer theological biblical points that those like seminary professors debate you know, in their, in their Bible theology books that they write? And if that's what you're thinking of when you hear doctrine in this chapter, that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about something so much broader. Like maybe a better word you can substitute, you can translate that word as teachings. And it's saying being a spiritual child is being tossed back and forth by every different teaching that comes your way. Do you realize that your world, the world that you and I live in, is just swirling around with different teachings? You're constantly being indoctrinated. There's just teaching swirling around. Let me just, I just want to use one example of that in particular. This is just one example. Do you realize that every single time you check out at the grocery store, there are things that are trying to indoctrinate you? Let me walk you through this. You're checking out, you're unloading your cart, you're putting it on the little conveyor belt, and you turn around and there's a whole rack of magazines. And on the cover of about at least half of them is the picture of a woman. And on it, what it says is something, inevitably something like this, seven tips to have the body of your dreams. Right? And so what is that doing? That's a teaching right there. That's a, that's a doctrine. It's a doctrine that when you're looking at that, you're seeing that woman's body. What you're, what you're seeing is, oh, that means that right there is obviously, this magazine is assuming, obviously that's the body of every woman's dreams. Obviously it's that. And so I, that's what I should aspire to. That's what I should want. And it's indoctrinating you the doctrine of body image. So we walk our daughters through there. We walk our daughters through there and they see that and whether or not, never mind the fact that cultures throughout history and cultures throughout the world have had different ideals of what the feminine physique should look like, completely polar different all over throughout the world and throughout history. Never mind that that's just what this culture thinks in this time in its history. Never mind the fact that that little girl that you're walking through that aisle may not have it possible in her DNA to look like that. And never mind the fact that what the picture you're actually seeing is not actually what the photographer took a picture of. You know that, right? They found a beautiful woman, took a picture of her, and then the editor went to work on that picture for hours cleaned up the complexion to look like whatever our culture's ideals are, reshaped 
Her body literally reshaped it to look how they wanted to, to look, made it more shapely in some places, or, or maybe made her neck a little longer, or legs a little longer. They, they completely reshaped it. You and I may not think of that picture as a cartoon, but it's closer to animation than real life. And so we take our daughters through there, and our daughters are being indoctrinated into what body image should look like, and they're seeing that that's what I'm supposed to look like, and they're being indoctrinated. But we don't just take our daughters through there, do we? We walk our sons through those lines. We walk them through those lines, and then they're saying, that's the ideal woman that I guess I'm supposed to compare every other woman to. And they see thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of fake images and so our, our boys and our young men are never trained the correct, true doctrine of body image that God has perfectly crafted a woman and her physique and her DNA, perfectly crafted a treasure for him in his wife one day, and she is to be this, his standard of beauty, and he is supposed to help her untangle the false doctrines of body image she's taken in to remind her what a treasure God has made her to be. We're constantly being indoctrinated. So what's the solution? Let's never take our kids to the grocery store ever again. No, you can't do that. You, you can't, like, pull, we can't pull ourselves out of the world, can we? The Bible never t- tells you, let's all go, like, dig a hole and stay in caves for the rest of our life. You can't do that. What it's telling you is the world is trying to indoctrinate you. And it's not just on body image, Right? It's on how, of course, how you should spend your money. Wait, you make this amount of money and you don't have this? What's wrong with you? Wait, you you don't have the newest this? You have that? I mean, how are you functioning as a human being? Of course you need that. The newest this is out, and if you don't have this, then, I mean, just wallow in your poverty. Even though most of humanity has survived without that and most of the humans on the, on, in the, on the planet have survived without that, but if you don't have that, then how can you even function? We're indoctrinating on how we spend our money. We're indoctrinated on what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. What are, what, we're indoctrinated on how we're supposed to use our sexuality. We're indoctrinated on how we're supposed to think about spirituality and how we're supposed to to think about religion. We're indoctrinated how we're supposed to use our time, what our goals are. This world is constantly teachings are constantly back and forth, pushing you back. And the metaphor it uses is like you're a small boat and this newest, latest trend of doctrine comes blowing you this way, and then a new thought comes blowing you back this way, and then this wave comes, and you go up and down that wave, and you're not back this way, and capsized over there, and you flip over, and you're blown this way. And I hope as you're thinking about every wind of doctrine, it makes you seasick just thinking about it. Because it knocks you back and forth and back and forth. That's what it is to be a spiritual child. Spiritual adulthood is having an anchor. Spiritual adulthood is fixing your eyes on that lighthouse, on that light of the world and being immovable. Spiritual adulthood is being trained and knowing that, okay, we can't escape the world that's indoctrinating us and our families, but spiritual adulthood is being equipped so we're no longer pushed back and forth with whatever of the winds are trending at the time. 
But it says something else, and you've got to see what this is saying about spiritual adulthood because this, you may have heard this before and never really heard this before. It said, so that you can grow to full maturity and then defined it. It said, to the stature of the fullness of who? Christ. All right, now I, I just need to speak to those of you who have been coming to church for a long time for a second. Okay, I just want to speak to you. Now, if you're here and this is the first time you've ever been in church, man, I am so glad you're here. We, that brings a smile to our face. We love that you have the boldness and, and want to journey with us. We're so glad you're here. I want to talk to those of you who've been in church a lot of par- large portion of your life, okay? Because I need you for a second to jettison the WWJD bracelet you wore in the 90s, okay? I need you to forget about the fact that, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to live like Christ and be Christ-like. I need you just to push that out of your mind for a second and rehear this like it's the first time. God is saying he intends to use the church to bring you to the fullness of Christ. Can you think about that for a second? Can you think of what it would be like? What it would have been like to stand actually in the presence of Jesus Christ? Ask John about that when he was, he wrote about it in Revelation when he stood before the risen Lord. In other words, he had already died, defeated death itself and come back to life. And John saw him in a vision. He said, I fell down like a dead man. How about being one of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane the night he was arrested? And this unit of soldiers come in and they say, um, uh, is this, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said two words. He quoted the name of God from Exodus. He said, I am. And the entire unit of soldiers fell on their faces. And then for some reason mustered the courage to arrest him anyway. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in the actual presence of Jesus? Jesus doesn't walk into a room and then leave it unchanged. When Jesus walks into a room, it is transformed necessarily. When Jesus walks in the room, all of the inhabitants have one of two responses. Either they drop everything, surrender every part of their life and worship him, or they want him dead. You say, why is he so polarizing? Oh, you know what? I bet he was just some radical on these, these you know, set of human teachings. And those who are like, yeah, that's right. And those who are like aligned that, he, they're drawn to him. And those who disagree, like they're, they're opposed. No, no, it wasn't like that. What he came with was so much, so transcendent beyond anything the world has ever seen that the people that drew to him defied all categories You had the extreme wealthy like Joseph of Arimathea. And you have the utter impoverished beggar like the blind man Bartimaeus. You had the ultra-religious, the ultra-strict religious um, Pharisee Nicodemus. And you had a woman that had been possessed by demons named Mary Magdalene. You had the far ultra-right conservative Simon the Zealot. And you had the ultra-leftist and Matthew the tax collector. 
And they're sitting at the same table together because what he said defied all categories. He said he had, he had the, the ruler of a Jewish synagogue in Jairus and he had a Roman centurion and both are saying he's the son of God. He defied all categories. Can you imagine standing before this man that defies all human categories? This man that if you were to stand in front of him, you would feel this strange blend of emotion because half of you would be terrified and wanting to run for your life. And the other part of you, everything in your soul would be screaming that all of life had simply been homesick for that being. And so you wouldn't know whether to run for your life or run into his arms. Can you imagine standing in the presence of Jesus? Christian, do you see what this is saying? Hear it for the first time, Christian. It's saying what God intends to do in you is to bring you to the fullness of Christ. Christ does not walk into a room and leave it unchanged. And he wants, and even though we will never even become a fraction of what the sinless Son of God became, can you imagine if just a piece of that gets matured in our life, what that will do when God takes you as a, as a representation of Christ into your sphere? Your world will be transformed. Conference rooms will be changed. Classrooms will never be the same. Businesses will operate differently. Neighborhoods will take on other personalities. Extended families will start change their trajectory. Families will have a new, new type of lineage. Your friend group will start doing different things together, start acting differently. When you become the fullness of Christ, you will change the world necessarily by law. You will change the, your world around you. What is the church? It's a factory that pumps out world changers. The church is a factory that pumps out world changers. You have been sprinkled like salt all across the industries, the neighborhoods, and the families of South Florida. And God said, do you think that's an accident? that you've been placed there, I'm intending to transform that context through you. But that mission is so critical. You have to get training. This is, the church is equipping you. When it says it's equipping you, it's equipping you to grow into the fullness. It's because God's got a job for you that you can't even imagine the fullness of it. He's making you the presence of Christ. And you have to be equipped the church is here to grow us all from spiritual children into spiritual adulthood so that we are the presence of Christ in whatever sphere of the world that we've been placed into. So let's get down to the practical part of it. I want to ask each one of you, can you pull this out of your, your bulletin? It looks like this. Can everyone take a second and pull this out? Here's a picture of it up on, on the screen. What the leadership of your church is responsible to do is we're responsible to create environments where you can grow and mature spiritually. Our responsibility as a church is for us to all plug into those and allow God to mature us. Your hope is not in the fact that, well, my church is awesome, they're going to create programs that will mature me. 
Now, your church is awesome, but that's not what you're hoping in, okay? Your hope is that God has said, I intend to work through my church. And so you're saying, okay, God, I'm going to follow and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get plugged in and watch you work through it. So here's what you're going to see. You're going to see our community groups. This is, a, this is a meet in homes all around in the community where you sit down, you take what was taught on Sunday, you dig down into it, and now you start learning from each other. Well, I was thinking this and applied this and this in my life here, and you're like, I never thought about that. And then, well, this jumped out at me. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I would have forgotten that. And now you're taking that seed that's planted on the weekend when you hear the message, and you're watering it, and you're fertilizing it, and it's taking root in this context of accountability, and a context of friendship, and a context of application, and living it out. You need to be in a community group if you're not in one. This upcoming, uh, upcoming fall, we're going to be going into this new series, these leadership principles that talk about how um, if you follow these principles in scripture, they're designed to make you a catalyst in your environment. You want to be in a context where you can take those truths and discuss them in a group of friends so that you can continue digging in and figuring out how to apply God's truth in your life. You'll notice on the back of that, looks like, like this on this side, here's a list of all of our community groups and all the different times they meet. Um, there's other things on here, our women's ministry. They're kicking off, ladies, kicking it off on September 6th with a, a, a big event. And then a couple weeks later, they're starting a seven-week study. Ladies, maybe a better growth track for you to jump in is in our women's ministry. You don't want to miss September 6th. Um, there's basics class, teach you the basics of your faith. If you're like, I am one of those spiritual newborns or I, I feel like I just have missed some basics, you want to jump into that class. Um, there's um, next steps, talks through all these options. If you have more questions, there's opportunities to get baptized and learn about that. To, uh, financial peace helps you think through how to handle your finances in a godly way and, and in a wise way and a biblical way. So all of these different ways that you can grow, here's the challenge for you. Don't miss out on, on what God wants to do through you. Astronauts need training. You're an astronaut. You have a mission. God wants to equip you for that mission. If West Pines is your church home and you're not in a community group or you're not part of a, a growth track, you don't have a way that you're growing in your faith, God said this is how he wants to grow you is through your church. Put your faith in God that he wants to use your church to do that. If West Pines is your church home and you're not involved, then, then, then here's what you need to do. Um, check one of these off or a couple of these off you want more information about. And then you can put that in the offering boxes as you leave. There's also going to be some greeters. They have, they're going to have baskets. You can place this or your connection card in that basket also as you leave. But if you're not involved in one of these, it's time. Don't miss out on what God wants to do through you in your context. His intention is not to leave you where you're at, to mature you to spiritual adulthood. You say, look, um, this is just a really busy fall. I just don't know if this is the right time for me. You know what? You're probably absolutely right that it is a busy fall because every fall is busy and spring is busy and summer and winter is also busy. It's always busy. And so I'm going to risk sounding self-serving because I want to give you the truth. What, it's not about you don't have time. You will never have enough free time to do all the things you want to do. You know that. It's not about free time. It's about priorities. 
And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the risk and just lay it out for you. What could be a greater priority than investing in the one thing that equips you for all your other priorities? You commit yourself and surrender yourself to getting into an environment where you're going to grow in your faith that equips you to do all of the other things you have to do with more strength, with more wisdom, with more maturity. You say, all right, I would, but you know, I was at a church before and, and they had, you know, you've got these set of things, they had these set of things, and I really connect with these, so I, I don't know if I connect with these. If you have these things, then I'll do them. Here's the problem with that. You're trusting in the methodology and not in the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, hey, I want you to grow and I'm going to use this one particular ministry to grow you or this one particular ministry role to grow you. He said, I'm just going to use your church. It's not a perfect church, but it's how I'm going to, I'm going to work in your life. Sign up today if West Pines is your church home. It's time to take that step. If you're going to walk out of this series knowing two things, it would be this. First of all, do you realize the mission you are called to is more historic than you know? It's more historic than you realize, and your role is more critical than you can imagine. What the Ephesians chapter 3 says is our mission of being the vehicle that God is using to take the hope for the world, the hope of the world, the message of Jesus Christ, that is the most critical mission in the history of the universe. He says the heavens are leaning in to see what's going to happen. The mission you're a part of is so critical, it makes Landing on the moon look like child's play. And you say, okay, I mean, you had me, but that's going a little too far. I mean, it's pretty incredible going to the moon. I mean, that, that's, that's something. Okay, here's how I want to end this series. Um, I want to show you a video clip, but let me tell you about this clip. I, I've been, you know, studying about the moon uh, landing and all that stuff, and I've been reading articles, watching documentaries, but there's this one documentary, it's called In the Shadow of the Moon, that particular is just stuck out because it's fantastic. It's presented by Ron Howard. It's won all these awards. It won an award at the Sundance Film Festival. Um, and, and one of the things that makes it so fascinating is that they interview the astronauts that walked on the moon. There's only been 12 men that have ever walked, 12 people that have ever walked on the moon in history. They're all American astronauts. And they interview... All of the, of the ones that are still living but one. It's a fascinating, fascinating documentary. And I'm watching, and it's all just about the whole process and learning about that. But they take kind of like a rabbit trail, and there's just one towards the end where a couple of the astronauts are, are talking about how they were impacted by going to the moon personally. And I was so caught off guard and shocked by what they said. And I want you to watch this. Check it out. I felt that I was literally standing on a plateau somewhere out there in space, a plateau that science and technology had allowed me to get to. But now what I was seeing, and even more important, what I was feeling at that moment in time, science and technology had no answers for, literally no answers, because there I was, and there you are, there you are, the Earth, dynamic, overwhelming, and I felt that the world is just, there's too much purpose, too much logic, which is too beautiful to happen by accident. There has to be somebody bigger than you and bigger than me. And, and I mean this in a spiritual sense, not a religious sense. 
there has to be a creator of the universe who stands above the religions that we ourselves create to govern our lives. A friend of ours got us to go to a Bible study at a tennis club. And after that weekend, I said to Jesus, I said, I give you my life. And uh, if you will come into my life. And I believe. And, and he did. And I had, I, sensed, I had this sense of peace that was, uh, that was uh, hard to describe. It was so dramatic that we started sharing our story. And I say my walk on the moon lasted three days and it was a great adventure, but uh, my walk with God lasts forever. up there, it only triggered their minds to realize there was something bigger. We're not talking about religions. We're not talking about perpetuating a religion. We're talking about the creator of the universe who has called you to a mission. He has an agenda for you and he wants to use you. We're talking about what one guy said, yeah, walking on the moon was an adventure for three days, but that's nothing like my adventure of walking with God for my entire life. Christian, you are part of the greatest adventure, the greatest mission, the most critical mission in the history of humanity. This planet has never seen a mission like the mission of the church of Jesus Christ to get the message of hope that can save souls for eternity. That is your calling. He's called you out for that. You have a role in that that's more critical than you can imagine. But he says, don't be so foolish to think that you can go into that mission without some serious training. So let's hunker down together, church. And let's see God take us from spiritual childhood to the fullness of Christ and whatever that could possibly look like. And watch what he does as he unleashes world changers into South Florida. I want to talk to those of you who are here. There's a group of you that I believe are here and you're saying, look, I... I'd step over and, and, and step over the line and put my faith in Jesus and start following him. But man, I just feel like there's these, all these things I'd have to give up. I mean, there's the things that I do for fun and the things I enjoy doing, my favorite parts of life that I know that God disapproves of them. God doesn't like them and I'd have to give them up and I'd feel like I'd be giving away all the vibrant parts of my life. But can you hear what this text is saying? It's saying he's calling you to an adventure that you can't even imagine. He's saying your life hasn't begun yet. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it to you in abundance to the fullness. And so today, just if you're standing at that place, you're standing before Jesus who died on the cross to wash away your sins so that you can be reconciled with God, permanently forgiven, 
and spend eternity into heaven. in heaven. You can walk out of here knowing you'll spend eternity in heaven. Surrender your life to Jesus today and find an adventure that you've never even imagined. If you're wanting to take that step, then I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? that's you, then I want you to simply make these words your own words in the quietness and the privacy of your own heart. I want you to pray these words to Jesus. Say, Jesus, thank you for calling me to yourself even though I don't deserve it. Thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven. Thank you for preparing a place for me in heaven. I surrender my life, all of it to you. I'm going to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.